We can let the uh, children be dismissed at this time for junior church. And as they move on their way, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at 1 Corinthians in chapter 3. I'm going to focus our attention this morning on verses 9 through 15. Kind of picks up where we left off last week and then uh, moves us forward uh, five or six verses in this very, very powerful portion of the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to read this text for us this morning. Before I do that, a lot of you uh, from time to time ask about my nephew Kyle and uh, how he is doing. And it's been a while since we give you an update because the status has been... Um, pretty much the same. Uh, he's getting a little bit of improvement, controlling the minimal movement that he has. Uh, they hope that in two weeks he will come home from the rehab center. They're uh, fitting him with a wheelchair and a car. Believe it or not, they're going to have him uh, probably driving, uh, using a joystick in a car, which totally blows my mind uh, that he'll be able to have that kind of mobility. But uh, my family just wants to thank you for uh, praying I'm just for asking for God's grace and mercy to be revealed in my nephew's life uh, during this long and uh, difficult situation that he faces. And one of the things my dad in his wisdom has mentioned to me over and over is the need to be praying for Brittany Kyle's wife because Kyle's life has been changed dramatically. Uh, His wife's life has been uh, changed and not changed. She's still healthy, but has to function in relationship to the struggles that he has. And so we would just really covet your prayers for her, for added strength, that God's will might be uh, done and accomplished in their lives in spite of the struggle, and through the struggle even, that they are facing. This morning, let's look at verses 9 down through verse 15. Paul concludes the previous paragraph by saying, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any other foundation than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, His work will be shown for what it really is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. But only as one escaping through flames. This morning, I want to give you a challenge entitled, Don't Waste Your Life. Don't waste your life. There is a difference in life between spending and investing. Okay, there's a difference between spending and investing. The fundamental difference is this. When I invest, I have something for the future. Down the road in my life, I'll have something to show. 
when I spend my life or my money down the road, I have nothing to show. Investment requires thought. It requires care about how this resource is going to be put in a place where it grows and brings about something that down the road will matter. So the question I want to ask you this morning is this. Are you investing your life in the kingdom and work of God or are you spending your life? If you're spending your life, meaning if down the road you have nothing to show for it, then your life was wasted. And Paul's concern in this passage of Scripture clearly seems to be he's placing an eye on the future judgment. One day, his standing before God and giving an account of his life. And what he doesn't want to hear from God is, sorry, Paul, you wasted your life. What he wants to hear from his father is this, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In the text, he's moving from agriculture to, to architecture, from fields to buildings, and what he's working on is a picture of the Christian life or of Christian work. The specific application of this text, I want to say, is this. It is a text about how leaders in the church function in relationship to the body of Christ with principles that fall down to every believer for how they do in relationship to their responsibilities in the body of Christ that God has called them to serve in. So the primary application is to leaders with principles that apply to every Christian who is gifted by God, which is every believer, to serve within a specific body of Christ. I want to ask this question as we move into the text. How can I be sure that I don't waste my life? How can I be sure that I don't spend my life and down the road have nothing to show for it? How can I be sure that I don't waste it, but instead that I invest it? And I think Paul comes at a couple different principles, and let's just work our way through these. The end of verse 9 says, you are God's field, you are God's building. Beginning of verse 10, by the grace of God that has been given to me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. The first thought I want to share with you this morning is this, as you work within the context, as you relate to the body of Christ that God has called you to be part of. Remember how precious that church is to God. Now, we know this from Scripture overall. There is a universal expression of the body of Christ, and there is a local expression of the body of Christ. The universal body of Christ is every believer in all places and at all times. The local body is a local expression. In this text, the local church is the church in Corinth. Other places in the Bible, you'll find the church in Ephesus, or you'll find the church in Philippi. It is believers who gather in a specific geographic location and together commit to do the work of God in their lives. Okay, this, the chapel at Warren Valley, is a local church. This local church, from Paul's perspective, is precious in the eyes of God. Every gathering of believers is precious and unique and special in the eyes of God. And as you work in the body of Christ, it will suit you well to remember that as you relate to one another, you are together precious and valuable to God. Because the church is a work that God started. It is His idea. If you look at verses 6 and 7, you find Paul reflecting back on the agricultural analogy. He says, I planted the seed and Apollos watered, but God made it grow. End of verse 7. 
but only God makes things grow. The church is precious to him because it is his unique project on planet earth. It is his plan through the church to see people come to personal saving faith in Jesus Christ. It is a work that he started. How does Paul see himself in relationship to this work? He does not see himself as the owner. Notice what he says in verse, verse 10. He says, I laid the foundation as an expert builder. The word there is architecton. We get our word architect from it. Not the owner, but the one who is hired to design. It, it, it may help you to think in terms of Paul seeing himself as a general contractor overseeing the work of God. He calls himself an expert master builder. His job is to come in as an apostle, lay the foundation for the work of God as a person who is serving the owner of that building. Paul sees the church as precious, as owned by God. And as Paul works in the church, he says this. He says it is a work that God enables. Now notice how he says it. By the grace of God that has been given to me, I laid the foundation as an expert builder. Grace for Paul would be his calling as an apostle and his giftedness to carry out that calling. The church is so precious to God that he selects individuals and gifts them to support and strengthen that building. So Paul wants us first to not waste our lives by remembering that the church is precious to God. Ephesians 2.19, which I read for you just a few minutes ago, says that the church is his family. Every parent is jealous of, protects, seeks to secure and bring safety to their family. He also calls the church his bride. His bride that is precious, that is pure, that is holy, that is his people. That's how Jesus sees the church. Folks, here's the bottom line. Don't mess with the church. Don't mess with what God loves and counts as precious. Instead, ask yourself the question, do I value the body of Christ, the church of Christ? Do I sacrifice for the body of Christ? God takes personal interest in what happens in His church. Remember how precious He is. And as you do that, here's what it'll do. It'll begin to adjust your life. And focus your priorities, the use of your time, use of resources, use of talents. Because you realize that the church that God has called into existence is precious to Him. Jesus said this, Matthew 16, 18. He said, I will build my church. It is His personal project. And here's what He says. I will not let the gates of hell prevail against it. What is He saying? I will stand in and fight for my church. I will protect my church. And Jesus wants us to join with him in building, in protecting, in investing in that which is extremely precious to him. At the end of verse 10, Paul makes a very fascinating statement. He says, I laid the foundation. Someone else is building upon it. To those that are building, that are working within the context of church life, Paul says this. Each one which tells us that not only are leaders involved in building the church, but each one that is part of the family of God, each one should be careful, thoughtful about how he builds. Second principle, I believe, is this. Christians should be conscientious as you work for God. Not afraid, but speaks of focused attention. Why? Because the church is his bride and his family. He wants us to work within that setting conscientiously. 
He wants us, see if this makes sense, to maintain an attitude of care and concern as we work within the body of Christ. Folks, ask yourself this question. When I read this statement from Paul, each one should be careful how he builds. Can I say that my relationship to the church is marked by thoughtfulness and concern? By prayerfulness for my brothers and sisters in Christ? Or do I maintain a casual relationship with the body of Christ? Look, I understand that we live in a very busy world. But if our busyness is keeping us from a careful reflection upon or careful involvement in the body of Christ, our lives are too busy. Paul wants everyone who is part of the body of Christ to build, to work carefully. Understanding that the goal of all of God's builders is to build something that is excellent before God. The church is made up of people. Therefore, I can't deal with it like I would with sticks or with things. There are individuals involved. I want you to listen to this passage from 1 Peter chapter 2, which talks about the church. And it's fascinating because Paul's talking about it, about it as a building, but it is a building that is made up of people. He envisions something very unique about the stones and the stick and the mortar that puts it together. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Verses 4 and 5, he says this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built together into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When God looks at his church, when he looks at the edifice, the construction of his church, he sees every part having an interaction with itself or with others within the building. We are living stones that are laid together to accomplish a very specific task. The glory of God. The warning in the context is extremely strong. Each one must be careful, must give attention to thoughtful work in the body of Christ. It is also a warning to those that would cause strife in the body of Christ, which Paul has already addressed back in verse 3 of chapter 3. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, aren't you acting like mere men? You see, Paul wants this church to wake up to its God-given responsibility to put away strife and quarreling and jealousy and to say we are part of something beautiful and glorious and precious to God. Therefore, we must each be conscientious as we consider how well am I connected to and involved in the body of Christ that God has called me to. Another way that I can avoid wasting my life is found in verse 11. Paul says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Folks, here's the secret to life. You can avoid wasting your life if you make sure that the foundation of your life is Jesus Christ. The chosen foundation stone of God, which God the Father says is elect and precious. Jesus Christ, who is the only adequate and effective foundation for the life of every Christian. Be sure that the foundation of your life is the solid bedrock of Jesus Christ. What is the foundation? A foundation is what you trust a structure to. It is what lays beneath and sets all of the parameters for the building. If it is weak, 
the building is weak. If it is substantial and strong, the building can be built with great strength. I recently noticed a crack in the foyer of our house. I haven't noticed a lot of cracks in our house, but I saw a crack in the ceiling in the foyer. Now, when I saw that, kind of became aware of that, guess what I did? I didn't ignore it. I went downstairs to the spot that I know is directly below it, and I started to look at the foundation. What we put underneath of the, the uh, basement floor are called footers, and then those metal columns sit on those footers. If that footer uh, in some way is in the realm of a uh, sinkhole, then I have a serious problem. So what I did is when I saw the crack in the ceiling, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a big problem, depending on how big the crack is, but I went downstairs and said, okay, let's look at the foundation that this part of the structure is built upon. Is it solid and secure? Because that will determine how bad that crack's going to be. Same thing is true in the Christian life. Be sure that your life is built upon Jesus Christ, which causes you to have to ask a question. What does he mean when he says, built on Christ? Because that can seem kind of vague to us, can it? I mean, at one level we know that in salvation, we have placed our eternal destiny upon the sure work of Jesus Christ. But what does it mean to have Jesus as the foundation of a church? What does it mean to have Jesus as the foundation of an individual's life? And I believe he's reflecting on something like this. Christ person, Christ life, Christ doctrines, Christ teachings, His death, His resurrection, His return to us by the Holy Spirit, and His soon return personally. That's, in a sense, a brief summary of what it means to build upon the foundation of Christ. Live the life that He called you to live. Live the principles that He taught. Hold dear the basic, fundamental truths of the gospel. It is the foundation that we are to build our lives on. What this leans towards, when Paul says, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ, he's, I think he's pointing to two thoughts. One is exclusivity. That Christ is the exclusive, appropriate foundation upon which your life should be built. His teaching, his practices, his principles, his habits should be the habits of the church. There is no other way, there is no other person, there is no other body of truth. Paul is claiming without reservation that what Jesus Christ said is true in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one has a relationship with the Father apart from me. Acts 4, 12. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. What is the apostle pointing to? He's pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is the only adequate foundation for the church. Folks, there are many other things that want to creep into the church and take the place of Christ. You can make meeting people's needs take the place of Christ. Or you can make exalting Christ central and he'll meet their needs. Do you see? So the church is always having to fight to protect the basic foundation. Paul says that foundation is Christ. He is exclusive and he is alone adequate. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 2, when Peter talks about Christ, he says he is God's elect and precious cornerstone. Build your life around him. Build your life upon him. Now, if you claim that Jesus Christ is the only adequate foundation for your life and for the church, that you need and that there is no other of the same kind, 
No other of equal quality. He needs no work order changes, no additions, and no modifications. I cannot make for, up for any oversights in Jesus because there are none. Nothing in his work and teaching is overlooked. If you make that claim that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and you say, you know what? I'm going to build my life on that. I'm going to build my church relationships on that truth. Here's what you're going to find. It will not make you a popular person. You say that what people in the world need, what our church needs, is Jesus Christ. Okay, that is not the way to become popular. About 15 years ago, I was working at a state facility, uh, doing some part-time chaplain work. And I was asked to participate in a multi-denominational, was the word used, church service. Really, it was more like a multi-religious church service. And one of the things that you were informed of as you considered participating in that is that you should not use the word Jesus when you pray. Look, why not? Well, because that could be offensive to some people. Then you look at a verse like this. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which has been laid, which is Christ. I had to say to the individual running that, you know what, I'm sorry, I can't participate. Because whenever I pray, I pray in Jesus' name. He is foundational to my relationship with God. He is the only reason I have a relationship with God. He doesn't exist to make me feel better. He exists to be my Lord and Savior. My task is to exalt Him so that I don't waste my life. Is Jesus and His Word at the center of your life? Is He at the center of your service? Because nothing of lasting value can be built apart from Jesus Christ. Do you want a stable family? Do you want a stable life? Do you want a stable church set of relationships? Then build your life on the person and teaching and work of the Savior Jesus Christ. Then you will not waste your life in those areas. Why does Paul talk about having such concern about the church and protecting its foundation? I think verses 12 and following tell us why. The Word of God says, If any man builds on this foundation, meaning the exclusive foundation of the work of Christ, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it really is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Fascinating. Be conscientious about your relationship to the church. Remember the church is precious to God. Remember Jesus is the only adequate foundation for the church. And remember, one day, every individual will stand before him and give an account for their life. The first forethought that I have is this. Remember that every Christian's life work will be evaluated. Folks, everything you do for God, all of your involvement in the body of Christ for Him, one day it will be evaluated by Jesus Christ Himself who purchased the church. You see how serious this is with God? This assessment, this evaluation is unavoidable. Verse 13, the beginning of the verse says, 
His work will be shown for what it is. And each one will give an account of himself. This evaluation is unavoidable. Secondly, it is exhaustive. Notice what verse 13 says. It says the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. The fire here is being used as an analogy, as a picture. Revelation chapter 1 verse 14 says that his eyes, the eyes of Christ when he comes, are like a flaming fire. The idea clearly is this. Nothing passes by the eyes of Christ without being seen for what it really is. His eyes are piercing, are investigating. They see all things in our life. Folks, as you live your Christian life, remember that there's nothing hidden from the eyes of Christ. Nothing. His evaluation goes to every individual. In that sense, it is unavoidable. It is exhaustive. There is nothing hidden from his eyes. And it's interesting that when Paul uses the word, the day, the day will reveal it, that already within the church is an understanding that the day of the Lord, the time of His coming, is a time of great reward and a time of judgment. So the day is something that is well known to the church community. That is that people are living with an understanding that one day He's going to come and everyone that is part of His church and that works in His church will be evaluated by Him in regards to their relationship to the church. Paul wants this to be front and center to remember that every Christian's life will be evaluated. Now, what kind of a test is it? The end of verse 13 states this very clearly. It says, it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Okay, this is not a test for are you saved or not. That's the great white throne of judgment in Revelation. This is a test to determine the effectiveness the authenticity, the accuracy of the effort that we have put forth in the body of Christ. And so he says, it is a searching judgment that tests for quality. In verse 12, he lists six different building materials, if you will. The first set is high quality material. It is costly. It is valuable. It has permanence. It is durable. It is beautiful. It is hard to obtain and Every item listed, if it is pure, can withstand what? Fire. Meaning it will be tested, but the test of that life will demonstrate that that life was lived appropriately before God. Okay? If you take pure gold and you submit it to a test of fire, and it's pure gold, what will it, after the test, what will it be? Okay, it'll be pure gold, right? You take pure gold and test it with fire. The test proves it to be what it is. It reveals its true character. If you take the other elements that are used in these illustrations, wood, hay, and straw, and you expose them to fire, what happens? They're gone. They evaporate. They're not durable. They can't stand that kind of test. So what the Apostle Paul is pointing to, directing us to, is that we would be thoughtful about how we put our lives together. We would be selective. We would make decisions based on what matters and what doesn't. See, it's a fascinating thing that the wood, hay, and stubble isn't necessarily sinful things. It's inferior things. 
Things that have lesser importance. Folks, we can consume our lives doing lesser things. And it's obvious that Paul is saying, you can build this house, this work of God, with wood, hair, straw, or with gold, silver, and precious stones. You need to choose to prioritize, choose things of greater value in your life. The key question that we will have to face one day when we stand before God is this. Did I invest my life in things that will matter when I stand before God? That's the question. And folks, in order for my life to be built around things that are going to matter one day when I stand before Him, I am going to have to make very important choices. There are some things that matter lesser than others. And Christians need to learn to discern the difference in the use of the life that God has given to them. My challenge to you this morning would be this. Select wisely how you live, how you use your time, how you prioritize your life and your relationships. Make sure you understand what matters and invest yourself in those things for the glory of God. It's a fascinating thing how exams and the prospect of them can change the use of time. I remember when I was in college that it was very easy to be loose in the use of my time during certain parts of the semester. And then there were times when everybody in the school seemed unavailable, unable to go out and have some fun or go spend a leisure day. It just seemed like people changed how they were living and functioning. And you know what that time usually was. It was usually called midterms or final exams, right? Knowing that the examination is coming alters how we prioritize the use of time. The Apostle Paul is using that analogy to apply to the Christian life. The knowledge that one day I'm going to stand before God and give an account for how I lived my life, for how I used my God-given resources of time, talent, and treasure. The knowledge of that should deeply affect us. Because we know one day, God is going to take a deep and incisive look at our lives. The last thought that I want to give you this morning is this. Emerges out of verse 14 and 15. It says, the fire is going to test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. I don't know about you, To me, that is a humbling statement. What do I deserve from God? To the day of my death, what do I deserve from God? I deserve death and judgment. That's what I deserve. You realize this? That never changes? That that is what I deserve? And the only reason that I am free from the consequence of my sin is because it was laid on Jesus Christ. I I deserve death. But I'm given life. What fascinates me is this, that if we live a life that is faithful to God and honorable to God, this text makes a promise to us that God in His rich mercy will, and the word word literally means to compensate. He will reward us if if what we have built survives, if our life is built on the foundation of Christ 
and with the appropriate priorities and choices, he or she will receive his reward. That to me is humbling. That if we orient our lives towards biblically justifiable and appropriate objectives and priorities, if we make the work of Christ important in our lives, in our family, in church life, in our relationship with the world around us, if we do that, one day we will have this privilege of standing before God according to Matthew chapter 25 in the words of Christ and hearing Him say this to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. You were faithful. You served me. You had the right priorities in your life. And folks, that will mean cost. That will mean sacrifice today. But that sacrifice will not be overlooked by God. The same fire that destroys the worthless preserves and reveals that which is of greatest and ultimately eternal value. Now it's a fascinating thought, isn't it, that one day God is going to give us rewards. And you say, what are we going to do with them? Are you going to wear them around as bragging rights? Now I think in the words of the book of Revelation that the rewards that we receive from Christ will be cast at His feet. And the ability to cast at His feet any recognition of faithfulness in our lives will always be owing to His grace. Remember back earlier in the paragraph, what did Paul say? By the grace of God given to me, I laid the foundation. But what is Paul saying? That wasn't me. That was God at work in my life. That was me simply realizing that God wanted to do this through me. And I yielded my life to His awesome power and His intervening grace and gifting in my life. And I laid the foundation like a wise master builder, but I did it in the strength that God gives. It was only by His grace. And that any reward that is owing to the faithfulness of a child of God will be turned back to the Father saying, Father, thank you for the privilege of serving you. What ultimately is the reward? of a successful athletic team? What is the reward? Is it the Lombardi Trophy? Is it the Stanley Cup? Is that it? Is that where the greatest joy comes from? Or is it in knowing that together this goal was accomplished for the glory and honor of God? I would argue that it is done for the celebration, for the joy, for the satisfaction. Folks, one day, when Jesus Christ is done building His church and is victorious over all opposition, when we are there with Him, the great joy of every Christian will be to look back on a life well lived by the grace of God and for the glory of God. And that when He looks at you if you make the right choices, if you prioritize your life around things that will matter in eternity, when he looks at you and says, well done, that that will be one of the most humbling, exhilarating statements and assessments that you will ever hear. And not one person in heaven will say, I'm sorry I paid such a dear price to hear this. The hymn writer put it this way, they said, one glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So greatly run the race, greatly, till we see Christ. Folks, we can waste our lives or we can invest our lives.
the end of this passage says, if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. Well, there's the choice we face. To invest our life and to glorify God and hear well done, or to suffer loss, yet saved. Why? Because our salvation is not rooted in our performance. Yet saved as one rushing through fire. Everything of the life burned off, but standing alone on the foundation of Christ. But I believe with some degree of disappointment, this text points to that. There is some in heaven, some degree of, I could have done more. Folks, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that one. I don't want to get there and see my life consumed, burned up, saved, yet so is by fire. Why? Because the fire burns away the structure, and there's the foundation that life is to be built on. And we will have Christ, and that will be glorious. But oh, the joy of those that hear from the lips of the Savior, well done, well done, well done. I challenge you this morning, don't waste your life. Build it on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. The hymn writer put it this way, they said, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?